I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, just letting you know this episode discusses topics of extreme violence. Some listeners might find this distressing. I'm Mark Boris and this is Straight Talk. My mother always said to me as a kid, I used to have these nightmares about snakes. And she said, you're going to have a lot of enemies, son. Graham Abel Henry has seen parts of Sydney many of us only ever read about. Then I did my first armed robbery. I was probably 15 or 16 years of age. I actually did it before I even went to jail. I can always remember I had this extremely big high. As Nettie Smith's right-hand man... You know, him and I had clash all the time. We had a sort of love-hate relationship. He always liked someone that he could control and he realised he could never control me. The notorious underworld enforcer was at the forefront of the city's underbelly during the 80s and 90s. When I moved up the coast in about 84, this is where I'm bringing my kids up. You know, I'd be up there for three days and then four days we'd be down there. As far as I was concerned growing up, I was a bookmaker. I had a fucking bad chip on my shoulder. Those events just changed me. Graham Henry, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thank you very much, mate. Pleasure to be here, mate. Your nickname's Abel Henry. Yes. Yeah. you got Aboriginal yeah, blood yeah. in you. Yeah, I didn't find out until I was 65. You're joking me. No. I always thought I was Spanish and that I got that nickname when I was 14. Well, I started to call me Sambo first and I went, what the fucking Sambo shit? What, 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 polish your shoes or something? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I got dirty on it. And uh, so I'd end up Abel. You know, I had the skinny legs, the flat fucking nose and and uh, very dark skin. And, uh, and I was very dark when I was young. And, uh, but I never really knew. And then when I was 49, I got diabetes. And then, and then every time one of my daughters had a child, they used to say to her, are you Aboriginal? And they'd say, no. I'd say, well, you've got a black line that runs from your navel down to your crutch. Only Indigenous people get it. Oh, really? Uh, That was a bit of a, bit of a hint. But you didn't know. Didn't have a clue. Even though my first daughter from another marriage. Like knocks around with all the abos now. Well, works for him. Uh, looks a curry the moment she was born, you know, and still does. How did you find out? Like, so did you go back? Uh, to I went. My sister was dying. She had cancer, and I went up to uh, uh, Ballina, and I went to the hospital and uh, saw her, and um, and she said, "Listen, I've got something to tell you." I said, "You're going to tell me I was adopted, right?" <laughs> and I said, uh, "I said I don't care," and she said. No, she said, Mum's your mum, but the bloke who raised you is not your father. Right. And I went, well, why didn't you just fucking tell me that 100 years ago? I said, I don't really give a fuck. You know, that's what I said. You know, I said, I don't really give a fuck. I said, but that explains a lot of stuff. So so do you know what tribe? And no, what? I've got no idea. So it's like a lost generation because I don't know any family history. So I went to the Awabical mob up in um, Newcastle. And I told them my history, told them everything about it. Uh, I introduced them to my other daughter from my first girl who died. She was a diabetic, type 1, went into a coma and never came out of it. And I tried to get custody of the child, but I was about 19 at the time and they wouldn't cop it, you know. And uh, plus I had a violence record, so that was the end of me. I was no hope of ever doing that. But um, So anyway, I didn't ever catch up until uh, until... Ran into an Aboriginal girl in uh, Tamworth jail who was liaison for adopted kids, and uh, and I knew her as a kid. I grew up in the same area as her, 
And I said, listen, I said, uh, can you have a look in? I said, I don't know if she'd be registered with the Abbo kid, but her name was Rachel, Rachel Smitzer, or she could be under whatever name her, I said. So anyway, she checked and she said, there, I found her. So when I got out, I went and met her at uh, Darling Harbour. And as soon as he turned up, I said to me wife, I said, she's a lesbian. <laughs> she said, how do you fucking know that? I said, 100%. Anyway, she brought her girlfriend with her. And uh, anyway, she was a professional singer, like my older daughter is, except she she had that real curry look about her, where me other kids haven't got it. You know, you got a good tan on you, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always thought you must have known that you were Yeah, Aboriginal. no, didn't have a fucking clue. I thought it was part uh, so of Spanish. So when was it when you found out? What age, do you reckon, properly? 65. Serious. Yeah, 65. That's only a few years Just ago. Just after I fought the Australian... Title over there. That's only, that's only a few years ago. Yeah. yeah. That's not that long ago. That's mad. Yeah. So yeah. Well, you just mentioned, um, you know, when you are nine and you had a history of violence or a record of violence. Yeah. Let's just talk about violence for a second. Yeah. A lot of people get pretty confronted with that violence. Yep. Does violence worry? Does it scare you? No. No, it worried me as a kid. Or take me back there. You know, watching the violence with my mother and all that scared the hell out of me. Who was committing the violence? Uh, my my original father, yeah. uh, Sess Henry, returned soldier, full of uh, drugs from the war, painkillers, and uh, and mixed with the alcohol, fenobarb they were called, and uh, mixed with them, just sent him into he was a mental case, mate. Tried to kill me when I was uh, fifteen with a garden matting through the bed, and lucky. And I, I had a something, I wanted an amateur boxing tournament and I put it up on the door and it fell onto this plate that I won and that used to wake me up. That's how paranoid of him I wow. was. So that, that's one of them things that's probably kept me so aware all my life and saved me ass so many times, you know what I mean, because I was always always aware all, all my life, you know. As a kid growing up during that period, you always sort of, let's call it paranoid, um, but were completely aware of what might happen to you as a result of oh, yeah. so this bloke in the house. Mm. You're, you're, oh, is yeah. I, I had a real good awareness, you know, just incredible one I've had all my life. I mean, you know, to the point of I'll, uh, well, sometimes I even know before things happen, you know, I'll have a dream. Like my mother was very psychic. My younger daughter's extremely psychic. Like she can just go past, like yesterday she just passed her, her, uh, all these balloons and she got all this bad shiver over her and she had to pull up and go over because the night before she dreamt about this kid dying and she went over to this uh, pole and there was a sign up on the sign about the, this accident had been there and she said, why are you trying to contact me? Serious? So she probably already wow. got an answer, I'd say. So, oh, she's unbelievable at it. But I was the same except I could call on things, I could call on spirits. It might take me a week, might take me a fortnight, but I, I've made I've had enemies sit on the end of my bed and tell me things, and then I'll, I'll go. That's not what I wanted. You to mean know. in a dream? No, no, not in a dream. In real I, life, I saw it like there. My God, strike me dead on yeah, the spot. You mean like like a vision sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly a spirit. You know, not a ghost. No, no such yeah. thing as ghosts. They're spirits. You know, yeah. and um, but I've always had that. And my mother always said to me as a kid, I used to have these nightmares about snakes. And she used to say, what are you dreaming about? I said, snakes. And she said, well, what happened? And I said, I fell into a big pit and all those snakes were going at me. And she said, you're going to have a lot of enemies, son. <laughs> this is when you are a kid. Yeah. And how she, right she was. But, but, but I can honestly say by the time I was 14 or 15, I already knew where I was going. You consciously knew? Consciously knew. Oh. I just knew. And I don't know why. It was like I used to say to myself, my life, my life's like a movie. I, um, I know, I knew, just knew what I was going to do. And I don't, I don't know really why. I, I, can, I can, can't blame the untouchables, but I used to watch it a lot with my mother. It was the only piece we ever had in the house. Pretty sad, really. It is. Well, it's yeah. sort of sad, but, I mean, you've made the best of it. Like, yeah. I mean, and you're still sitting here. Yeah, I mean, that's right. You, like a, a lot of the blokes that you hang out with. Life, that's right. Yeah, but there's a lot of blokes who you did hang out oh, with who aren't fucking sitting here. That's right, and exactly. Well, that or they're locked up. Yeah, that's right. You can become used to violence. Oh, like you can. You very, saw it, but you then you be. did it. Yeah, and now, you can be a little bit addicted to it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And things can get out of hand and you and and you got to. 
have that control. I was lucky I had a lot, a lot of common sense about me, you know, uh, not on the drink. You know, if I was full of drink, I didn't have any common sense. But uh, I don't think anyone does. But I always knew when to pull myself up, you know, even if I had to put one in someone, which I've done. Um, as in shoot someone. As in shoot someone. You know, over the years, uh, 35 years in organised crime, so I came around a few times and uh, but it was always the last resort. You know, after it, I can always remember, especially the first time, I had this extremely big high, you know, like I'd been on cocaine or something I've never touched it, right, never touched a drug in my life. So... And I thought to myself, you need to pull yourself back here, buddy. Because it's not a that's not a, a proper feeling. No, that's yeah. right. It's not. It's not. It's, full. it's all false. Okay. Yeah. And where did that sense of what is right and wrong, so to speak, mm. you know, the weird yeah. words, but where did you get that from? I just think my conscience, you know. But is that your mum or is I think it... it's my mum, you know. I think it was my mother. I just had this conscious separation in there that I could, you know, I could separate the, you know, things I would do and things I wouldn't especially when I was running with him with my old partner and he'd want to do certain things and I'd just pull up on it. I'd go, no, no way in the world. So the difference, so this is pretty interesting because mm. to me at least is that, um, you know, growing up I've known sort of people like that yeah. and um, the, there are some who just don't give a fuck. Yeah, that's right. And they do, they will fucking do mad shit. Yeah, And, yeah. and they've got no conscience, yeah, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And to some extent they're psychopaths. Yeah. They truly oh, 100%. I've met a few in my life, yeah. 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 And yeah. Uh, But then there's others who have done this stuff that might have been on the drink, they might have yeah. been taking some drugs or might have been yeah. desperate, but they pull back, they go, yeah. fuck, that wasn't that cool. Yeah. It sounds like you're in that category because just sitting here now, yeah. you could be just some grandfather. Yeah. Um, you know, with great respect to your yeah. age. You could be yeah. some grandfather who's talking quite a lot of common sense. Yeah. You don't come across as a bloke who was a career c- criminal yeah. you know, hanging out with – Probably one of yeah. the worst reputation dudes in the country, Ned, yeah. and Ned Smith. Yeah, you know, yeah, and you yeah. were, yeah. you know, there was a group of it wasn't just him, but yeah, there was a whole no, group no, of it. That's right. There was a gang. That's right. Yeah, there's a gang, yeah. and uh, did all sorts of nefarious things, yeah. whatever. Yep. But just sitting here now, you're talking like to me, like a normal, rational family man, yeah. member of society. I said, "Well, I am," and and I, and I've always tried to separate that life from that life, like. When I, when I moved up the coast in about 84, I moved up there and I fell in love with the place, Lake Macquarie, and I just said, this is where I'm bringing my kids up and I need to separate. I don't need to be coming home while I'm in Sydney and then going through this, getting calls and going out in the middle of the night and upsetting the, you know, or walking around with wigs on and cannons on me all the time, so um, moaning guns. I, I took him up there and when I did, it was the best thing I did. And, and so then I'd, you know, I'd be up there for three days and then four days we'd be down there. As far as I was concerned growing up, I was a bookmaker. You know, I just didn't. Take didn't, bets. Yeah, that was it, you know. Sydney in the 80s, 70s yeah. and 80s. Yep. Pretty wild fucking joint. Wild as they come. Wild. <laughs> um, and not only that, even the coppers were wild. Oh, because that's, you know, how... Well, without them, we didn't survive on a lot of the, you know. And I mean, that's how organised crime operates here. Though it was in their interest, the police, their interest to sort of do deals, so yep. to speak, yep. with powerful groups yep. to make sure things don't get out of hand that's because exactly they would often right. get you to make sure you and your group to make sure a certain, another group or a individual yeah, that's right. wasn't out of hand. That's right. Exactly right. And it sort of sounds sensible. Yeah. Well, it was. It kept it kept the lid on a lot of stuff, and uh, that erupted in Sydney. You know, when there was other people trying to vie for control, and you know, well, we just just pulled them into gear, and you know, and they knew we had the power. But in return for that, you have to get a bit of a green light. Oh well, the green light was given to Ned, of course, yeah. and uh, and of course, uh, everyone run under that umbrella. Now, when I say about the green light, I, and I often get in arguments with blokes about this because. I say, oh, well, you know, you must have been telling and must have been giving information. I said, well, I can tell you, as God as I'm sitting here, you know, that I've never been a narc in my life. And You want to give up? No, no, you, no. That's what you mean? Never. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, the yeah, police yeah. knew that. I mean, they'd throw me out windows when I was a kid, you know. They learned very early, uh, that, yeah, that's not my go. But, uh, and they'd never asked me anything. And if they did, I would have snotted them. 
yeah. you know. Um, but Ned, uh, you know, I said to Ned, you know, I questioned it early in the piece in 76. I said, how come your other mate just got 13 years and you walked away? See, because I paid him. I said, well, why didn't you pay for Bob? You know, Bobby Chapman, his mate. And he said uh, he just wanted to fight himself. You know, so, I mean, when someone's been your friend, I mean, you take them on face value and, yeah. uh, you know, and then you just let things roll as, and try and suss it out yourself. Well, I, you know, as the years went on, I started to see a few little sneaky things, but I can never say that I saw him telling on anybody. I mean, I've heard him talk out of school at, at, while having lunch, you know, and there might have been a detective sitting there and he'll say, or so-and-so, Dave Kellerard's uh, selling fucking plenty of drugs and uh, so-and-so, you know, and I'd go, the fuck are you saying that for? He said, they're sweet. He said, they're on site. I said, I'll go and fucking put someone onto him. Mm. You know, I said, snap out of it. Don't fucking go dropping names like that. That's a fucking dog act. You know, so I'd, I'd, you know, him and I would clash all the time. We had a sort of love-hate relationship and uh, he always liked someone that he could control and he realised after a certain event in Sydney that he could never control me and uh, he sh- actually shit himself and uh, and left me posted and, and I had to go in and do something on my own and uh, when I looked around he was gone. He took off on me and uh, I, I thought to myself that night, now we're talking about 1984, 85, not long you know, about six or seven years into the relationship, I thought, this bloke's got the falsest reputation I've ever heard. And in all the years I ran with him, that was 10 years I ran with him, 76 to 86, and I walked away and run my own gang. And then then I ran with Stan Smith for 13 years, Stan the man. In some respects, Stan Smith was a bit of a legend. Oh, he was a legend. Right. And and against he was against powders? All powders. Uh, no, he's didn't his, he, kid, he liked, his boy he died. As well. he, yeah, but he no, but in terms oh, of business, oh, yeah, his son died. Yeah, yeah. and that was it. Yeah, and then Stan said, "Don't oh, do something." Yeah. You no, know, he do didn't it. like anyone that was involved in that, and he said that to me a few times. You know, I said, "So you're going to blame the bloke who?" You know, I said, "Do you know what happened to his son?" You know, we got run over. I mean, Stan's dead now. I can mm. talk about. It. So the the bloke got run over. Who gave him the gear? down at Monavale and he ran over him about ten times and killed him. And um, and I said to him one night, I said, well, tell me something. I said, if I went home and flogged my wife when I was full of piss, right, I said, which I've never done, would I would I blame uh, the publican for serving me the beer or would I blame myself? He said, well, you'd blame yourself. I said, well, it's the same for the supplier, isn't it? I said... You know, he's got a commodity, he wants to unload it. You know what I mean? Your son's the one who's addicted on it. The bloke who was selling it wasn't. You know what I mean? So how did he take that? Because well, he wasn't very happy about it. Everyone heard of Ned Smith, yeah. but Stan's Well, Stan Smith was a complete kettle of fish altogether. He was a um, very intelligent bloke, uh, most unassuming bloke you'd ever meet, uh, small in stature, tough as nails, good fight. Uh, as a young man, you know, only fought professional. Uh, only had a few fights, I think about eight or something like that. But uh, we're talking a lot, the stadium days. But uh, but he was a real enforcer and when he put them down and when he killed them, most out of, I know, 16 that he he really did, I say 25, I say 16 that he really did, uh, two or three of those were with a couple of other people where they sprayed someone up, you know. Um, most of the time it was just on his own and he'd just do it on his own. Sometimes he'd use underwater equipment to get to a certain place, get out, wait in the driveway, wait for him to come home, boom, put it back in, up in the water and end up somewhere else. I mean, he was a pretty smart operator. And everybody sort of... Was not scared of him so much, but with total respect. Like, oh, you yeah, didn't every, cross him. Every, I've never ever heard anyone give him a bad rap, you know, ever. You know, I've never even, I think I'm the only bloke who's ever argued with him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, because when and you I said mean, to me we that. We used to have some big ones. Really? Some Barneys, you know, yeah, right, but just over topics, you know. would say to Stan Smith, 
what your opinion was. Yeah, fucking know. And you would argue with Ned Smith, who yep. was different sort of character stand. Ned's yeah. much more irrational yep. and likely to do anything. Yep. You don't know what he's likely to do at any yep. one point of time. Exactly. So have you always been the sort of guy who would uh, voice his opinion in terms of fairness or what's fair? Oh, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd just uh, always have. Always, but as you know, a kid yeah, right through. All, all the way through. You know, if I saw someone two out and someone in the yard at school or whatever, I'd always go over and stick my head into it and intervene and you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so where would you get that sense of fairness again? I don't, like? I don't know. I, I, I think I got it because I hated bullies. I hated, I disliked my father so much uh, through what he did to my mother and, I mean, he punched her up like a prize fighter. She only had one leg, my mum. And uh, he punched her up like a prize fighter. Drunk? Badly. Was he a drunk? Oh, well, he was on, on the drugs. He yeah. was on the drugs. He was, you know, the Fenabarb and, um, you know, those massive painkillers, which they barred off the market in 1974, but he was still getting them. Uh, early 80s, they used to have the red coats. Uh, there was a group of blokes used to go around and protect all these bookmakers at the Mark Madigan. Well, I remember Mark. I remember Mark as a, as a young bloke, you know, yeah. when I was about 18. Mark had a group of blokes. Ned was one of them. Right. And they used to go around and protect the SP bookmakers at the pubs. Right. Yeah. So SP bookmaker would be at the pub. Uh, some bloke would have a bet, wouldn't pay, yeah. or he'd be drunk and put on a stink yeah. and something like that. And you'd ring the red coats. And yeah. two blokes, well, there's a group of them, but there was a bloke called, I won't say his surname, but Kenny. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Ned. Yeah. And they'd turn up. That's right. And they'd Both big bucks. Giants. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and they used to turn up. Do you remember that period where this is what organised crime is about? It's not it's not criminal, but yeah. being an SP bookmaker was a crime. Yeah. Because you didn't you didn't pay the tax, basically. It was a bullshit crime. But that's right. It's a fiction, right? But yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. At the time, you would have got in trouble for having an SP bookmaker. And SP Booker Mark, Mark had all the SP bookmakers all around the pubs around yep. Sydney yep. and uh, had a look after them. That's right. And they these blokes to turn on a red coat to the pub. You used to oh, sit. No, no, there was one in Paddo. I I so one, one, I remember because you, you you grew up in Paddo. Epping area. Epping was it. I thought yeah. you might have been from Paddo, but yeah. I, I remember I was in a pub in Paddo and I was only in my 20s. Yeah. And uh, these guys turned up and there was a bookmaker in the cor- corner yeah. and a uh, bloke who I became good friends with. Um, a guy called Gary Stanmore, he's a good mate of mine, Stumbles, yeah. and uh, and he explained to me how these guys operated. And, um, oh, right, okay. and, th- and that's sort of, we're talking about organised crime, but it's not really crime. It's just no. like an organised shit. Right, yeah. You've got to, somebody has a bet and with it. And that was before they so- he sort of got into the, into the big league, Ned. Oh, yeah, he went, up to, he went up a level. Yeah, yeah, he went up another level after Quite that. a few actually yeah. over, over time. Um, but when people talk about organised crime, they make it sound like it's something worse than it is. Yeah. Um. The crime could be something that is fictionally regarded as we, the government, don't want you to do unless you pay us yeah. a license for your tax. That's right. So SP bookmaking was like it was nothing. Yeah, it was just right. taking bets. Yeah, that's right. And the guys made a living out of it. That's right. And they supported the family and sent the kids to school. This particular guy I'm talking about who was part of it was actually an accountant but, um, and, but just did this on weekends and yeah. at nights. Yeah. One night a week and on Saturdays. To make extra dollars. Yeah. So he sent his kids to school. That's right, exactly. And well, uh, I used to do it myself as paying. Yeah, and, and and you had to have support yeah. in case someone didn't pay you because you're in a pub you full of drunks and blokes who want to, you know, yeah. back themselves and all this shit. Yeah. So you need someone to come and sort it out. That's right. And in those days, sometimes you had to be sorted out up around the corner, around the back of the lane. That's right. There's nothing really wrong with that, is there? No. No, not at all. I can remember, you know, like, I was only talking to a bloke the other day about it and uh, first time I ever really met George Freeman. I was over at Marrickville and there was a lot of gambling places up the road there, you know, and uh, he used to come there and he'd, he'd give a handful of money to a certain bloke and he'd go and lay him off in all the places, whatever bet he wanted to put on, you know. So while he was there, he was talking to him about a, uh, a bloke that owed a lot of money that they haven't been able to find. They hadn't been able to locate this bloke. And uh, anyway, I stuck my head in and I said, uh, I'll have Arn around. He said, I might be a bit out of your league, son, you know. And I said, well, give me a try. Is and a the other bloke it? said, oh, he, he can look after himself, the lad, you know. And uh, and he said, and he'll collect if he can find him. He said, well, I'll give you a chance. He said, well, that was the last place he used to get. So I sniffed around there. I quizzed a few blokes. Anyway, I reckon it took me about two months and 
in back into the same pub he comes at the back of Concord. Uh, it's called uh, uh, it's where the old punt is. Where, what do they call it? Mort Lake is. Yeah, it? yeah, Mort Lake. Mort Lake Hotel. He walks into there, and he's still betting, and he's betting with the SP bloke there, and he he's got a wads on him, right? So I tagged him when he left the place, and uh, he didn't live far from the place, so. I would notice where he lived or checked out the place, see who he lived with. He lived on his own. So the following Saturday, I waited up there. He didn't turn up. So I went, oh. so anyway, I waited to come back the next week. There he is. So I went straight down to his house, in through the side, through the bathroom window, and I waited in his bedroom. And what I had was a water pistol. The water pistol was full of petrol, Right. And I said, Neil, pay me tonight this bar. So I had a big Bunsen burner lighter <laughs> and, uh, got and I, I hid there until he came in. He hopped into bed. I let him get into bed in the nude. <laughs> Fucking sight to see. Big lump of a lad he was to. And, uh, but before he did, he opened up the cupboard and put the money in under the floorboard, right, in, in the cupboard. So you knew the where the stash was. Itself. So I knew where the stash was straight away, so. As soon as he went in and he started having a little snore, within about five minutes, I just squirted him all over the face, all over his bed sheets, and I woke him. Well, as soon as he woke up, I got the lighter in my hand, standing there with a the balaclava on. Well, he just fucking shit himself, you know. Oh, mate, what the fuck, mate, what's going on? The first thing was the smell of the fuel. I said, mate, I'll fucking light you. I want all the fucking money you owe fucking George now. He said, there, there. I said, I don't know where it fucking is, but I better be fucking there or I'm coming back and I'm going to fucking burn you to pieces. So I'd go out there, fucking went right through it. Anyway, there was 20 over. So I took the fucking lot and I uh, went back and uh, I gave it to him. He couldn't fucking believe that I'd found him and collected it. So he gave me a bonus on top of it and I said, well, I already got a bonus, mate. I've got 20. He said, doesn't matter, you take that. He said, unbelievable. He said, good on you. Anyway, called me once more after that and uh, over a bloke down the dogs and um, uh, to protect a bookmaker. And uh, I went down there and just stood off the bookmaker and made sure he was sweet all night because there was blokes ripping him and I knew who they were, so uh, there was no problem there. So I just had to go up and pull them up. And and that, that after that, I just said, listen, mate, I'm running another, uh, another crew and uh, doing my own thing, so uh, don't call on me again. Do you think, Graham? that a lot of crime, back in those days at least, was to some extent fueled by the fact that there was a lot of cash around, which is not the case oh, today. Oh, shit, yeah. Oh, big time, big time, you know. But, uh, you know, that, that folding still comes, with it, but they've got to find that way now to, to deal with get, it. To deal with it and get rid of it. Well, you, know, you may feel look at you weird if you pay cash now. Yeah, like, that's right. I mean, yeah. I look at people sometimes they pay cash and they're like, it's well, a bit I, unusual. I went to the bank uh, just a couple of weeks ago and just to draw out five grand and they give me the biggest quiz of all time. You know what I mean? Yeah. I said, what are you going to use it for? I said, well, that's none of your fucking business. And I said, it's got nothing to do with you. Well, we just want to make sure you're not getting scammed. I said, no. It's my that's money. for the taxation. I yeah. said, well, tell the taxation. Yeah, because they have to fill forms out now. Yeah, that's right. This crime hasn't stopped. It's just different. Do you think we've gone too far? I mean, the coppers don't consort anymore with the criminals. No. They're not allowed to unless unless someone's a gig. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, that's right. A formal gig, you know what I mean? A couple of blokes around with the green light. Yeah, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. But basically. Yeah. um, But but they're getting less arrests. There's more crazy shit going on out yeah. there now than ever before. Yeah. It's and out of control. Got balls. They, uh, they don't have the balls like they had in there. Look, anyone was carrying on how things carry on today on the streets, how, you know, families are feuding with each other and people are falling all over the place, they would just run straight into your door, kick your fucking door in, blow your head off and put a gun under your pillow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Straight in your hand. That, that's how they operated. And and they had the control, and it would work. Yeah, and it worked. It fucking worked. Why it do you think it the stopped? Up the normal, the normal crims. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, I say, if you didn't have the uh, working in the in the organised crime world, well, then you're you're in the mug game, because otherwise you were just going to spend your life sitting in and out of that joint. You know what I mean? All of those sort of inquiries really brought it. In the old days, they didn't. They just brushed them under the carpet and they were gone. But the last one sort of. Brought it to a bit of a head and the corruption, then 
Ned rolled on, you know, he rolled on 92 police. I mean, he wouldn't have known 19. Yeah. So as far as I'm concerned, the, the, the ICAC helped him, you know, point out people. You know what I mean? Even uh, if, by the way, you know, even if they weren't a criminal, he was rolling on them. Oh, 100%. He didn't like them. He didn't like them. He stitched them up. That's what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he didn't know 92 police. When I read that report, uh, I, I nearly died of fright. I mean, I had to get involved in, in, in all that shit myself and they pulled me down there, but I lasted a minute and a half in the witness box and they, they booted me, you know. I said, there's a bodging up statements here. I said, I made a tape recorder interview, play the tape. Get out, get out. That was Ern Temby. That was headlines the next day, Henry ejected. You know, so I was glad, but I spent two and a half years in solitary confinement over it. You know what I mean? That's, when, that's when my hair fell out. <laughs> what was the first time you went to jail? Like, uh, 1969, I got three months, I think, for blocking a thoroughfare. What's that mean? That means I was standing in the way of everyone on their way to work on Epping Railway Station. Why? Um, and what is it? That's that weird. Was, that was just what they wanted. To, they just wanted to be smart. I say they had me guts, and um, you know, and I wasn't adverse to not not belting them on the chin. You know, I was always hitting them on the chin, so. You would have been like 20 or 18, 19. Oh, no, 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 I was younger than that. Yeah, I was just 18. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It was 1969, so well, I think it was me 18th birthday. They arrested me and they knew it. They pulled up me where they charged me with blocking the thoroughfare. I was sitting on a fence, right, a little fence, a little picket fence. We all used to sit along like crows, you know. We're all sharpies, you know. Yeah. And, um. And uh, next minute, I was just waiting for the pub to open. We're going to go down there. I'd already been there for a year, probably drinking, but we we're going down there legally this time. But um, you know, but next minute they so they hit me with that vagrancy, something else. Anyway, I got three months jail. Where'd you spend it? Uh, Parramatta jail. Parramatta. Yeah. And uh, but I was in with all the old heads, you know, like because all of them were all training centres before that, Long Bay training yeah. complex, uh, Goulburn training centre, Baffers training. Then Parramatta Jail. Well, that was the end of the road. That's where you went if you were a real hardhead. So I ended up there and I, I just started working in the uh, tinsmiths, I think it was, and um, started, you know, like when Chow A's and blokes like that were there and and uh, I got on fantastic with them. I didn't have any problems with the blokes trying to fucking get about me or had a few whistle at me a few times when I fucking... Do you think boxing helped you have that confidence? Because you're a um, decent amateur fighter, like yeah, you... I just think maybe more the more the street, and I knew I was willing enough to use anything. You know, well, they I knew you were willing enough to yeah, use it. Yeah, that's probably that's right, pretty important know. too. Yeah, that's right, exactly. And then right. what happened? Up, like, so you get out after three months. Yep. What you do? You remember what your first sort of actual criminal business well, transaction I started, would have been? Uh, uh, you know, I was running prostitutes. Uh, out the back of a van at the back of the uh, hotel. I used to pick up all the punters and take them for a drive around the block till the egg timer turned to, I think, we, you know, three minutes, six minutes. That's how much they were in the down in the uh, Burke Street here and all yeah, that. Yeah. That's all you'd get, three minutes. You'd have to go like a rattlesnake, you know. Well, you mean up Liverpool Street around that territory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so. Because these started, all lined up the road there. Yeah, all, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. And uh, so we'd just take them around, turned over a couple of times, give, probably give them six minutes or something, pull up and just say, mate, roll up the roller door. Do you want to go again, mate? The bed was bolted to the... This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, mate, I'll go again, bang. Off I go, around we go again. Pick up another punter, off we go. Anyway, then 
next minute I got headlines in the Rybal magazine. Oh, Rybal. Well, for people in a Rybal magazine was a, a black and white newspaper type thing. Which, by the way, the only way you could get it when I was young was you had to pinch it from the newsagent. That's right. Um, it was Rybal was it was a sort of a pornographic thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And but they used to write about all sorts of stuff. That's right. Yeah. So I was headlines in that, and it was uh, uh, I can still remember the headlines. It said "Teenage Vice Ring," and um, it said there's a thug known as Henry. Didn't give me full name. Uh, who runs prostitution and a standover protection racket around the area. And uh, anyway, they're talking to one bloke and he said, and how do you know so much about it? He said, oh, because he broke my son's arm. I own all the chook farms around this area because <laughs> that's all they were around there, ride and all them areas. They had big farms, vegetable farms, chook farms. So, so he said, uh, you know, there's no telling what this young thug will do. That was, well, well, that was, that, by the way, if I could just yeah. just step back into that for a second. Yeah. Okay, prostitution was illegal, got yep. it. It's an ethical decision made by governments and maybe society makes a decision, whatever the case may be. Yeah. It still exists. It's always existed yeah, it always and it will continue existed. to exist, okay? Yeah. So That's let's right. take the morality out of it for a yeah. second, okay? Yeah. You were sort of like sort of quite enterprising in, in, in that. Yeah, yeah. There was I a business. used to think ahead of myself. So you, you got know, a bed like, bolted to the back of the van? Yeah, yeah. And I got an egg timer or I got a timer yep, at least. Yep, there was yep. no mobile phones in those days, so you couldn't do, use a mobile phone timer, but you had an egg That's timer. Right. And you charged by the... By the period, like That's three right. minutes, six minutes, whatever the case That's may right. be. Exactly. And you knew well enough just you knew where it was, it was down yep. here in Liverpool Street, wherever yep. it is. And in terms of the standover thing, you had to protect the girls. Yeah, I did. So protecting oh, women. Oh, yeah, anyone ever touched them, they were in plenty of trouble. So. You know, and they were willing participants, the girls. They weren't someone we'd stood over or anything. No, no, but it's yeah. around the other way. The standover was against people giving them a hard time. Oh, 100%. Or not paying or whatever or bashing them up or right. being drunk and being an idiot or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And. I mean, people can say, well, you know, this bloke's immoral, whatever the case may be, you know, we're yeah. going to get all the judgments. But, yeah. but at the same time, uh, you're making decisions based on your standards. Yeah, that's right. And the standards that you saw. And yeah. by the way, it's at a different period. Yeah. So you can right. make judgments exactly. about what happened in the 1970s. And there was plenty 70s. of people sort of doing it then, then, but like older blokes, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, all the organised crime, all the chapel lanes up here, we used to go up and terrorise all the prostitutes working in the door and get escorted out of there with a gun, you know, stuck in the back of our heads. But that was his all, area. Yeah, that was, that was all around here. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, but, uh, you know, then I then I did my first armed robbery uh, when I was I actually did it before I even went to jail. I was probably 15 or 16 years of age. Did my first armed robbery a bank? then. Was it a bank? Uh, it was something like that. Yeah. And, um, and uh, I came away with it. I sort of got off on those things. And I think I got off on them because of John Dillinger. I used to watch John Dillinger. Yeah, the American. And I had a picture of him up on my wall. My mother used to always rip it down, you know, and I'd just stick it back up. Well, most blokes that have pictures of, you know, racing car drivers or Racco Welsh or, you know, and I'd have John Dillinger with a big submachine gun under his arm. And uh, so, you know, I think my life was already mapped out for me, really. And I mean, look. I tried so many things. I tried, I could sing, you know. So I went into every talent quest known to mankind. I always got into the grand finals I, and I always got rorted because they were always dud agents in, in that business, you know, and they'd, they'd be set-ups. So I worked up the cross uh, up in the old Texas cavern uh, Thursday night for a half-hour spot, doing a few numbers, and then one day I turned up there and the bloke said, uh, Oh, you're not on tonight, but he said, but there's a new start for you over at Narrabeen at the spinning wheel. I thought, the spinning wheel? Anyway, so I drove over to this place at Narrabeen and get there and this pommy bloke said to me, hey, what are you doing there, mate? I said, well, apparently I'm singing there tonight. He said, you got a band? I said, no, I haven't got a band. He said, well, we only have a band there. Well, I knew I'd been bent over. You know what I mean? Someone had G'd me up. So anyway, he wanted to put me on. The, he said, "Can you?" he said, give us a voice. Give us a hear of your voice without music. I said, well, what's the point? He said, well, I'll get you on New Faces. I know someone on Channel 9. So I belted out two songs for him and and I could bang him out, you know. And he said, uh, he said, I'm going to get you on New Faces. He said, what's your name? I said, Graham Henry. He said, oh, we can't have that for a name. He said, that's a fucking ridiculous fucking stage name. <laughs> so he gave me a name like Dick Carr or something. <laughs> like I went, fuck me, Dad, Graham Henry was better, mate. So... <laughs> 
Uh, next fucking minute, he rings up Channel 9. He's got this bloke on there. He books me in there and I just went, fucking stick it up your ass. You didn't do it? No. So then I tried to be a male model. I went into these model agencies all through. They're all down in central, you know, from town all down. Yep. Down, uh, down the main road there, George Street. So uh, I try all these agencies. I got a couple of callbacks to come in, see someone. Anyway, never got off the ground, so I just went back to what I knew best. And, uh, you know, I worked hard, uh, like as a young bloke. I worked, uh, I carted meat, I carted bricks. You know, I was a brickage labourer. I, so you, you weren't know, born. I did all that hard yard. Yeah, but, but Graham, I, you weren't. It seems to me that you weren't born as a bad, hardened bastard, like I'm going to be a criminal. Mm. Fuck society. You just tried a whole lot of things. I just had a big chip on my shoulder, right? Do you know? think you had a chip on your shoulder? I had a fucking bad chip on my shoulder. And As a result of your father? Yeah, I yeah. think so, you know. and uh, I feel like you were bad, hard done by, like he's not fair, it wasn't oh, a fantasy. Yeah, uh, but not only that, I think the biggest thing that gave me what brought out the violence in me uh, the worst was uh, when I went to Albion Street Boy Shoulder and I was 16 and I was raped. Eight days straight. Wow. And... Uh, I've never, um, I talked about it about two years ago, never talked to anyone about it in my life, not even my wife. She knew something had happened to me. Uh, it still hurts now, I can see it. But the, uh, the thing about it was when I got out and I, got, I ended up getting a bond, I was on remand. And uh, there was a screw and they used to bring in pedophiles into the place because I never knew the other blokes. Didn't know who they were. Didn't know, even know if they even changed blokes. I've got no idea. So, and I slept in the bowl and they locked me in a cell, right? Everyone else was in a dorm, I was in a cell. And he kept calling me a little black bastard. First day I was there, I knew I was in trouble, you know? Stay in the chair, you little black bastard. Everyone else would be share on, soap on, soap off, step out, next four in. That's how they operated it, right? So you'd do it quick, you'd be under the shower for a minute. You know what I mean? You stay in there, you little black bastard. That was the first day. I never fucking forget it. I thought, oh, I'm in fucking trouble here. I don't know what's wrong with this fucking bloke, you know? And I thought, he probably thinks I'm a fucking, you know, career or something. You know what I mean? Could say... But then there was other Kareep kids here. Well, I, I wasn't a bad style of a kid, you know. I had, you know, and I had the, the nice short hair and the, you know, because we were sharpies, we dressed smart. And, short on the sides, a bit long yeah, on the back. You know, no, no, we, ours were always short or crew cuts. You know what I mean? Uh, a bit later on your era, they had the bit the longer hair at the back yeah. and, the, you know, and different styles. But. Oh, we had all the buckles and the high waist. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the, the double, the know, double breasts. Yeah, all that. We used to get a made <laughs> and flare down the bottom in glebe in uh, sits in uh, by city. I Green. remember them. Yeah, I, I, by the way, I had them. So yeah, I, and yeah, I'm fucking embarrassed. Yeah, so, so I, had, I was, still wear no socks. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, so after that incident, when I got out, so there's eight days in a row. Eight, yeah, at least a week, a full week, and then there was a big argument outside the cell. One night, there was a massive big argument outside the cell, so someone sprung him, someone who was either on the night shift or whatever it was, always was the night. And uh, never stopped, never happened again. week or two weeks later, I walk out of the place and I'm fucking filthy, mm. you know. I mean, I'm already pretty angry kid, but um, by the time... First thing I wanted to do was fucking get down the Baronia Park at Epping where all the homosexuals used to get. And square off. And fucking square off. And I fucking stabbed them. I fucking did everything to them, you know. I've jumped a bird bass onto them, onto their bodies, you know what I mean. I've kicked their guts in. And then one day the penny just sort of dropped because there was a big old homosexual that used to drive around Epping and, and uh, everyone knew him as JB. He, he was the gentleman of a bloke and uh, he just liked, you know, fucking having sex with fucking younger blokes. But I'm not talking 14, 15-year-olds or, 
you know, a little bit older than that. And he'd get around the pub and try and get them, you know. And I thought to myself one day, why am I fucking giving it to these blokes? And he's not a fucking petty. He's not a pedophile, you know. It was the same with that Justice Yeldham down there, like in the, he was having sex with blokes in the toilet blocks that wanted to have sex. I thought, well, you know, he's not getting 10-year-old kids behind a school and fiddling them. Like, uh, you they're know, all I think they're very funny with that word pedophile. But you they're know, all consenting is what you're saying. Yeah, 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 you know. But anyway, so I just, I dropped off it, you know, and then, but but those events just changed me. They fucking changed me dramatically. And if I went off, you know, I fucking went off. You know what I mean? And mm. and I uh, and the drink wouldn't help that. Yeah, well, the drink the drink would t- top it off. Yeah, you know what I mean. But I was always strong of mind. I've always been that way. I've been. I've always had a good strong will in me that I'd block it out. Like it's not until I talked about it a few years ago that I started to recall shit, you know, dreams about it, the smell of his coat, you know, shit like that. And uh, <clears throat> I'd have bad days, you know. But um, they, uh, but I was, of, you know, and since then I've blocked it out again. You know, it's blocked out. It's only when I've got to talk to someone in regards to it, a lawyer or a, so someone, then, you know, then those things come up again. My family know to stay away, but they would have known the things that have happened because they were, I'm sure they've seen the emails that have come from, um, you know, psychologists and uh, things like that. But I'd say that it really turned me and had a massive impact on my life as far as my violence went. I had Russell Manza sit here. Recently, I don't know if you know no, Russell. I knew Russell uh, yeah. in the prison system, yeah. and and, uh, and he's he runs a program now. But yeah, he he, does, his yeah. thing is about say his thing is about saying that a lot of people who become career criminals yeah. have had something along the lines that you're talking yeah. about, um, where they've been sexually abused. Yep, um, in, in a institution. And and that's something that he rails against now. Like oh yeah, hundred percent. And and it can equally can even even continue on in prison for that matter. Yeah. It can continue on later on. And that seems to be like a bit of a common theme around the place. You know, oh, like yeah, it does. Abuse. But some people all go, you know, they'll turn to the drugs or, you know, I don't think I really turned to the alcohol because of it. I, I just actually I didn't hardly drink until I was about 20 really. Um, and then I just started to get into it. But, you know, I was really... Um, and spirits would seem to affect me like more than anything and I'd get a bit, I mean, I was pretty bad-tempered anyway, but but I, but I but I had a pretty good fuse until, uh, but if I was on that, the fuse was that short instead of that long and, and uh, you know, and I'd just snap, you know, and I'd always go overboard, could not me fuck myself. Where do you see yourself now? You've got out of the whole system, yep. you know, like you've got nothing to do with any of that shit. No, you've got no. lots of stories to tell. Yep. You've been trying to recreate your that's own right. life. Yeah, yeah, that's um, right. You, you manage to get sell your kids to sell your book. That's What's right. the name of the book again? Uh, it's called Last Man Standing. Last you Man can Standing. get it uh, at a treacherouslife.com, atreacherouslife.com. So th- th- you go to the and website. I sign them yourself. So, so you go to the website called atreacherouslife.com yep. and you can get The Last Man Standing. That's, that's the name of your book. correct. You were doing um, – Tours a little while ago with uh, what's his name? Um, who Roger the Dodger. Roger and someone. What's well, his name I too? I did one uh, with uh, Roger. Uh, no, I never did one with Chopper. I actually put him on in the club I had at Newcastle, and um, that was a funny evening. And um, and that's when he was with Rogerson. But you know, I, I actually had a blue with Roger coming back from Brisbane, and I kept intervening while he was up in the thing. I said, "Open up a bit, mate. They're all falling asleep here." I said, tell them some facts. You know, you're not going to get arrested for them. Anyway, on the way back, he, he, that night he said to me in the room, oh, you know, you shouldn't have done it. I said, mate, they were nodding off in the audience. I was watching them. 
and a lot of money. And you're there you to were, perform. You were boring them, so, you know. And I said, I had them eaten out of me palm. So so next minute, on the way back, then I I said something to him. I said, now, when Michael Drury was shot during all that gang stuff, well, I got the, they were going to use me as a scapegoat, right? And it's a pretty long story to sort of get into that, but on the way back on the plane, I brought that up and I said, well, while we're having such a uh, good mood today, I said, why don't I just bring this up to you? We're sitting side by side on the wing coming back from Brisbane. And I said, during all of the um, crap I said with that Drury, you tried to make me the fucking bunny. Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, you're fucking paranoid. I said, no, no, no. I've never been paranoid. Paranoid's fear, mate, right? I'm not paranoid. I, I have this awareness. I've had it all my life. And I got out, got through the break, you know. I had Christopher Dale Flannery trying to knock me, Laurie Prendergast, another bloke out of my own gang, right? And they come down through, well, up the cross, was from here, just across here in the pub. I went there to meet a bloke, followed me back out, and I said, well, I'm not going out of the cross. If I go out of the cross, I'm never going to find out what's going on. And I was always one to go into the lines then, you know what I mean? So I had a gun here, the blonde that shot Drury, and I had another gun there. And I put them both between my legs like that. I drove up to the street here, to the top, crossed over the bridge, went back down the ramp, and they were parked on the side. The detective car went out first. They followed in a panel van. Laurie Prentigas was driving it. I didn't realise that at the time, right? Wasn't until later on in that day it clicked. I go down where the New Zealand hotel is, turn right, went up near the cathedral, round down St James Station, down to David Jones, in the Market Street, pull up the first set of lights, said just not far behind me, but I can see daylight come out of the back of this old Sandman panel van. The old Sandman right? here. Yeah. I can see daylight and I can, as I look through, now that part of the city Saturday afternoon's dead. You know what I mean? Here's this detective parked on the other side of the road of Castle Ray with his wheels turned out like that. So the block's going to be on, this panel van's going to pull up. So I don't know if they're cops or or what they are, but I thought, well, I'm going to beat the charges anyway. If I've got the gun here, I'm, I'll be sweet. You know what, I can get through the break, I'll pay someone. And Anyway, next one he swooped out and I went, fuck that, I mounted the gutter and I nearly killed one of them blokes in the, you know, them old PMG things, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. sitting around the cage, fucking nearly run him over. I reversed back up the street. In the castle, Ray, well, it's one way. The buses are coming this way. Well, they've come out of the back of the van. They're all ballot up. And I went, who the fuck's this? So I just drove the car, turned the car straight and went straight up the one-way street the wrong way, down to the rocks, got down the rocks, bought myself a midi. I sat down there and I thought, what just fucking happened then? Right? So I bought this up with Roger on the way down. But when I get back to the pub, Ned was supposed to come with me, never come. And he said, oh, I've got to meet Roger, mate. He said, can you go up and give this bloke that gun? I said, yeah. Well, the gun was the gun that shot Drury, right? So it was a setup. So when I got back there, when I walked around the corner in Bullwara Road, he was standing out the front of the pub. He nearly died of fucking fright when he saw me because he thought, I'm not coming back. You know what I mean? These are professional hitmen. They're, they're going to fucking get him. And he knew how well and I was. Like I, I'd go on with it. They started firing. I would have just let go in the street. So as we get to the thing, I said, I don't know what just happened. I either was going to get kidnapped, but they were coppers or they were crooks, one or the other. I said, but here's the gun back. I'll give it to him in a plastic bag, right? I hand it to him in a singlet, right? I'd already wiped it down. Gave it back to him and I said, and you and I are fucking finished, right? And I walked away. Now I went around the corner, went down the road. I walked around into Bullwara Road and I sat there for a bit over an hour, about an hour and a half. Up pulled uh, Flannery, Laurie Prendergast. They walked down the street. Up pulls the detective. Up pulls Roger. They're all having a mag. Gotchas. So that's when I said, well, fuck you. Then I started to hunt Ned and fucking a lot of them and 
tried to get him at the Three Woods Hotel. Police saved him. I was laying in the bed ready to, in, in the uh, garden bed opposite the Three Woods Hotel at Roselle. And uh, I thought they, he could hear me heart beating. I was pumping that hard, you know. But he was going down that night and, and the bull wagon pulled up on the corner with detectives in it. And there was a new club that had opened up in Balmain and he said, are you, um, hey, Ned, he was just about up in the driver's side. I knew he'd up in the driver's side. That's why I was laying in the garden, right? I got the gun against me so I rolled over against the wall like that and uh, to try and smother the shorter because it was a big chrome bastard, right, big 357. So I rolled over and they said, you going down to that club? He said, yeah. He said, we'll follow you down. I went, oh, fuck. Fuck's sake. So he got through the break. And then Flannery and Prentigast disappeared after that. Uh, that was in 86, May 86, 9th of May. And then uh, I started running my own crew and, uh, you know, doing what I did best. What did Roger that say? That was robberies. What did Roger But, but Roger uh, said to me on the plane that day, he said, oh, you know, that's just paranoia, you know. I said, I'm fucking paranoia at all. I said, you and I both know. I said, I went to the meetings, mate. I was sitting at the back of Flannery's house with Prentig- with uh, can Flannery, Ned, while they were talking about it. And I said, you're going to take a copper out. Are you blokes fucking serious? Like, I said, what are you going to get involved in this, Ned? I told you fucking not to get involved. And he said, I'm just fucking listening. That's all I'm doing. The copper being dreary. Because Ned's go was the, he was always going to be in the background, Ned. Yeah, wasn't Ned, he? Ned had nothing to do with it. You know what I mean? And he was never going to have nothing to do with it. That wasn't his go. We knew it would have been the end of him, you know. Um, and as it turned out, it was the end for Flannery and uh, and Prentigas because of what they did. But uh, anyway, he, he didn't talk to me much after that, uh, Roger. He was, um, you know. He but he, he knew that I knew. And, uh, you know, I still seen him every now and then. I just, but I, 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 what I did say to him was, I said, listen, all I can say to you was, it was very clever business. It was smart. Yeah, yeah. And you got me in. Snooking him. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I said, but I got through the break. I yeah. said, so good business plan, but you failed. A good business plan. Yeah. Because for them it's business. Yeah. Because right? yeah, yeah. it's all oh, protecting 100%. revenue, protecting money, and territory. I understand why they did it. Even that Mark Stan and Mark Stan was involved mm. with a, the copper. A, 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 another criminal who tried to get me, tried to kill me while I was on works release, uh, fired about you know, 12 shots at me. They missed me. Uh, probably the best fucking bit of excitement I'd had in fucking six years, to tell you the honest truth. Well, you know, my adrenaline was pumping, you know. Even the coppers said it. They said, fuck, you're an all mate. I said, that's the best fun I've fucking had. Do you feel as though you just like to live a life, okay, leave me alone. Well, I just I'm, want to be left alone. I'm Graham Henry. I just yeah, want to well, just watch my, my family, go, my I'm kids, 71. my grandkids. Grow yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You know, do you think they've got a point to prove, though? Is, is it people trying yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, it's an ego thing, mate. Yeah, you yeah. know, where he missed me that many times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just a big, become an ego thing. So you don't carry grudges? No, I, I don't. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really care about him. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, I don't hate the black for it. Um, you know, and people find that strange, you know. I mean, I'd still put him down tomorrow if he'd come at me, you know, and uh, and he knows it. Um, but, um, you know, and I, I fronted like the whole team, in the America's Cup bar uh, as soon as I got out of jail. And about uh, t- 20 of them turned up to the Hilton Hotel there. I walked in on my own. They were hiding me on the bar. They were everywhere, right? So I just walked straight in, stood at the table, and they came in and virtually surrounded the table, and I told them straight to their face. I said, don't insult me, intelligence. I'm well aware it was you and you, your mate, you know, and uh, you did it for the wrong reason. You know, I mean, for what reason could you possibly want to do it? The only reason you're doing it is to cover up yourself because you you were taken out on a Section 44 from Long Bay during the ICAC investigation and you were given the police information and that's how you got your green light and he's still got it to this day. Does Graham Henry sort of hold on to those stories as as identifying yourself with all those stories or do you park that? And say, but there's another Graham Henry over here. Oh, I fucking hope it is. You're still good now, physically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm fit. Barbara. You get around good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm good. You know, I still do my squats every morning, do my push-ups, and 
you know. But you look in pretty good health to me. Like you're not drinking much. Uh, mate, I I go down and have a couple of beers. Uh, I, I'm not a I'm not I'm not a massive drinker anymore. And I only drink mid, mid strength. Yeah, you yeah. know the massive drinking days were in the eighties, and yeah, they were. You know when you know we'd go out and do a knock off an armored truck or something, and then go and celebrate and have a big lunch, and that'd go through till three o'clock in the morning. You know what I mean? So, so do you think you're richer for having lived in that period? You, you know, oh yeah, it's certainly part of Australian uh, history. Oh, totally. For sure. I mean, we run away from it, but the yeah. bottom line is it, it all it did happen. That's right. 100% and uh, you know, prostitution, you know, all these things of drugs, it's all been yeah. made illegal by governments. Yep. Because they're trying to control society. Yeah, that's right. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's just the process. Okay, that's how we work. That's, that's right. That's how governments work. That's why they're called governments there to govern us. That's and, right. But they will govern us in the way they want us to do it, and then they're always going to get people going to say, "Well, fuck that." Um, there's still people who still want beer or booze or drugs or whatever prostitution. Yeah. So we're going to supply it. That's what I always say: demand and supply. It's not supply yeah. and demand. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. You're not trying to force yeah. it onto anybody. No, that's right. <laughs> they they want to buy it, they can that's buy it, right. and they exactly want to deal right. and they deal it. If you're not going to give them that or whatever they want, the coke or the heroin or the or whatever it is today, I think if I was running around in the world today after watching them young kids today on the ice uh, and experiencing it firsthand, seeing them, uh, there's no way in the world anyone in my team would be unloading that. Yeah. And if they did, I'd fucking put one in them. It's pretty hectic. You know what I mean? It's yeah, it's fucking horrible shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Horrible shit. Nasty fucking crap. But if you look at all the laws, we've got all these laws now and all, you know, they sort of pretty yeah. much close down your your gangs and yeah, yeah, what yeah. you guys are doing and the yeah, cops yeah. are disassociated with you now so they yeah. don't know what's going on unless they've got a gig or they're right. listening. Um, but guess what? The drugs are worse. That's Much right. worse. Much worse. Still Much killing worse. each other. And there's more murders going on yeah. and the innocent people are getting hit That's right. as well. I mean, the difference, I guess, in our days was, you know, so, someone went missing, they usually went missing. You know, they didn't get left all over the street or... Get shot to death in their car all the time. You and know most what I mean? times I mean, they were part of it. Here and there, but but most times they were part of what was going on too. There was right. no they one were, innocent. They, were, they, were, they weren't innocent bystanders. Yeah, we didn't, you know, drive past your house and unload into your house. Yeah, I mean your home was your castle. You know that was a no-no. Yeah, you'd never do that. You know what I mean? So, and um, and that's a shit go. It's the same with home invasions. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, totally. You know, it's just a shit go. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately that's the way it is today. Do you, reflect, and, do you reflect on what's going on today and think, fuck? Oh, what's, yeah, what? I just go, fuck, give me back the fucking green light. You know what I mean? It's just hectic. It's, you know, as I said in my book, I said it's hapless, you know, it's, uh, it's erratic. You know, it's just uh, all over the fucking place. It's irrational. The, yeah, you can't yeah. really see anything around it. I no. mean, it's, it's just it's, it's like no. a little bit. And most most time people go down is. You know, out of fucking ego, out of fucking, you know, jealousy, fucking, you know, see the, the other way. You know what I mean? Really hadn't changed since my day, I guess, but, you know, a, a lot of the things that, you know, they, they were things that I'd pull up on. Like if my old partner in crime would say, well, fuck him, he's going to go, well, I used to ring him up. I mean, i got blokes, and these blokes are now like part of this other crew that, you know, and they're getting on in their lives, you know, themselves. But the, you know, I used to save their asses. I'd ring them up and say, when you're coming into town today, mate, bring your family, you understand? Yeah. You know what I mean? So they, I was already giving them a warning. So, you know, and other blokes I've taken raps for, this bloke especially, this one bloke, one, one bloke, I mentioned him in the book, but I don't mention him by name. I'll give him a nickname. Wasn't going to give him up. You know, I used to visit him in the can. I took raps for him for armed robberies. I've fucking done, um, done fucking plenty of things, you know, and and thought I was a, a pretty good mate of his. And then, but it was an ego thing, you know. He he thought saw an opening for a smart lad while Ned was locked up, and I was locked up, and uh, I was serving eight years, and Ned was doing life, and uh, he saw an opening for a smart lad, and fucking uh, went straight to the fucking police. Gov had a bit of territory for himself. Yeah, that's right, you know. But he went to the police and um, became, you know the top fucking boy because he helped them. I mean, I guess that's sort of what happens in business generally. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, they don't go to the cops, but it's sort of the same sort of deal. Like, and we live our lives, look, I people often say, you know, it's really important to be wealthy and all sorts of stuff. I think the greatest wealth that we can have is the, the, the 
aggregation of experiences we've had in our life. Oh, to yeah. be able to say, yes, I experienced that. Oh, yeah, fucking know. And, and, and for me sitting here today listening to your stories, I mean, you're lucky you're a good storyteller. Yeah. But you have led a pretty rich life. Oh, yeah, bloody hell I have. You know, a, a really no rich life. I mean, that, and you're here to tell stories. Yeah, that's right. You're not sort of some guy who's sort of, sort of hiding away no, you know, behind no, it. No, no way in the world. You feel comfortable going out and talking about yeah, it. Yeah, it doesn't worry me at all, yeah, mate, yeah. you know. Um uh, you know, and, and well, you're lucky, I'm, I'm glad I did experience it. You know, there's look. You know, when I, I try to get into the world of you know the good business and the, I did commodity broken, I did. I've tried everything going. I mean, that was more stressful than fucking fucking doing any crime. Being a crook, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Oh, putting up the bullshit in that game. Yeah, well, there's but, a lot of bullshit. You oh, to deal with. wow. You know, you got to deal with uh, bullshit. You know, you've just got to. You know, and unfortunately from the world I come from, I probably would have knocked a few out at business meetings, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I wouldn't have been able to cop them. Great. Uh, Before I wrap it up, I just yeah. want you to give the, the book a, your book a plug again. Yeah. So just tell me about the website again. It's so called uh, atreacherouslife.com and the book is called the last man standing. Well, I mean, if if anybody's really interested in more more stories, I mean, more more war stories, going back in a period of Australia's history that yeah. was pretty fucking mental, relatively speaking. Compared, was. Um, I think they should go to that website and uh, and buy that book. And I'm going to go to the website buy the book because it's actually a good book to give as a present. I think. Yeah, I should have brought one in with me. I yeah, well, I'll, 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 I wouldn't mind getting one off your sign anyway. Yeah, but I'll yeah, buy it off. Sure. I'll, go, I'll go to the website and I'll just because yeah. I know who I want to give yeah, this no book worries. to and. Uh, and it's been a real pleasure, mate. And uh, hopefully, yeah, I'll see you up in Brisbane for the fights. And yeah, um, and uh, take care, and I'll see you soon, bro. Good as gold, mate. Been a Go pleasure, mate. Go pleasure, mate. Thanks for listening to another episode of Straight Talk with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistants, Jonathan Leondis. This is a mentored podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.